I know. So I'm doing something that I don't like to do very much, and that is I am attempting to use my computer for my notes. I hate it. I'm a paper and pen and book guy, but the wind is always just blowing things around, so we're giving it a shot today. Um, if it all of a sudden blips out, I don't know what's going to happen, so we'll see what the Spirit does. Church, I just want to say I'm so glad that you're here. This is a great day, Amen. For some uh, who are here, we haven't seen you in a while. Others, uh, we've never seen you before. And I just want to say welcome. So glad you're here. My name is Matt, and I'm uh, Pastor Elder at Calvary. And so thankful that the Lord has brought us to this place today where we can be in worship and be in the Word. During the summers, we like to do something fun around Calvary. Some people might not think it's that much fun, but we do. Um, we try to switch to the Psalms for the summer. So no matter what we've been studying through the book of John, you know, for the last two and a half years, um, we come to the summer and we want to take a little bit of a break from that. And I've been here for five years. And so we are in Psalm 51 because we do 10 Psalms every year. If you're keeping track, that means, you know, in 15 years, uh, we'll have to figure out something else to do in the summer, right? There comes a moment for all of us, a moment. There was for you at some time, a moment. Perhaps this was the first time that you discovered that there was sin in your life. There was a moment when one day something happened and you looked out and said, yep, there it is, there is sin. The first time it happens, I believe, is by the Spirit. In fact, every time it happens, it's by the Spirit. Where suddenly you realize, oh man, I am a sinner. And there are moments since that moment where again and again and again you were reminded by the Spirit of God that you are a sinner. Moments. in which there is a choice to make. Will I fall on my knees before a holy God and confess what I am before him, or will I try to convince myself that the sin in my life isn't that big of a deal? When my kids were younger, and they are still pretty young, I taught them that when they fell down in the street or on the sidewalk in their, in their grass to quickly get up and brush themselves off and go back to it. Because most of the time when a kid falls, that's all it takes. It's no big deal. Some of us treat our sin that way. Those moments when we suddenly realize, I'm a sinner. And we think, all right, but, you know, he's a bigger sinner than me. <laughs> You're welcome, Scott. <laughs> Moments, friends. This is what we're talking about today. Moments where sin suddenly appears in front of us. Psalm 51 goes back to a true story 
in the Old Testament to the story where David, King David, the the man after God's own heart, had a moment (laughs) after a series (laughs) of really bad decisions and outright sin in his life. You may remember the story if you're familiar with the Bible. If you're not, that's okay. King David, when he was supposed to be at war, found himself on his rooftop instead. And on his rooftop, he saw a beautiful woman on the next rooftop over. Being king, he decided, I can do what I want to do. And so he forced Bathsheba into a relationship. She, of course, gets pregnant. And after she gets pregnant, David begins to realize he's a got a growing problem, right? So he invites her husband back from the war he's supposed to be fighting, and the husband comes back, and he refuses to go near his wife because all of his buddies are on the front lines, not with their wives, an honorable man that he was. So David comes up with another idea. Well, let's just kill him. So he sends him back to the front lines with a note to a commander that commands his own death. Stunning. After this, prophet Nathan comes to him and he says, Nathan, I have a story to tell. And I'm not going to tell you the story today. He says, Nathan, or David, I have a story to tell. And he tells this story. And at the end of the story, David declares, that man should die. And Nathan looks at him and says, you are that man. There is a moment when David suddenly realizes his sin, when he should have realized it over and over and over again, but the Holy Spirit sent Nathan to go make sure that he did. And in that moment, David had a choice to make. He could say, I'm king. I'm in control. I get to do what I want and push it all under the rug. Or David could come before the Lord, and that's where we are today, because David makes the right choice. Psalm 51. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to it. Hear the words of David. When he's had a moment where he realizes his sin, he realizes that he's stuck, but he, do, but he still knows who God is. And this is really important for us to remember. Hear this. David says, he prays, cries out, I think. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. He again cries, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not 
your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. And I pray that it would be an encouraging word for us today. Because I know that every one of us has had a moment like King David. Right? Every single one of us has had a moment where we have realized our sin. We have realized our struggle. And we have a choice to make. And some of us might be making that choice today. I pray that if you need to make that choice today, that you would make the right one. Amen? In those moments, have you ever swept your sin under the rug? <laughs> have you ever pretended that it wasn't really that bad? Or did you realize in that moment that your only hope was God? One of the things you may notice about this psalm and about David's words here is that at no point, at no point does he think, I've got this. At no point does he think, I can do something here to figure it out. He doesn't plead with the Lord and say, Lord, I'll never do it again. Why? David knows he's going to do it again. But the thing is, he knows God. <laughs> he knows who God is. And that is what this psalm is about. As we approach it today, I want to start with, with two things, one thing and then another thing. The first thing is, is what David knows about his own sin. The second thing I want to talk about today is what David knows about God. See, because David does this the right way. He's done everything wrong up until this point, but here he's doing everything right. Why? Because he knows his sin. He knows all about it, and he knows God. And that's what we need to look at, too. If you're someone who right now, even maybe last night or this morning, you find yourself in deep sin, you find yourself in one of those moments, you need to know your sin and you need to know God. And that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to try to move through this pretty quick. <laughs> we have a lot here. This is not a short psalm. So what do we need to know about sin? First, it is ever before him. It is ever before him. Look at verse 3. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Can you admit to this? To say, you know what? I know my sin is ever before me. It's not just in the moments when we sin big, when we fall hard, but always right in front of me. It is not 
poetic hyperbole when the Lord says in Genesis 6, 5, says the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, in the earth, and that every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil all the time. Right? It's not hyperbole that sin is always right here in front of us. God looks at us and he knows that every moment of every day, this is right in front of us. I don't think most of us need that reminder, do we? Most of us do not need to be told by me right now that sin is ever before us. We know that it is. But what we do need to be encouraged to is to be truthful about it, to be honest that it's right there. That at any given moment we could choose sin or we could choose not sin and that maybe today we're going to choose sin. See, we know that. But we never say it out loud. Here's David crying out right away saying, it's always before me. Lord, this is my problem. See, we like to think our sin is hidden, but it's not. It's ever before us, and it's ever before God. The second thing David knows about his sin and our sin is that our sin is against God only. Our sin is against God only. Look at verse 4. He says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. When we sin, we are sinning against God. And at this point, somebody's thinking, hold on. I mean, I sinned yesterday and I hurt my spouse, right? Or you're thinking, yesterday somebody sinned against me and I got hurt. I got sinned against yesterday. Yes. But here's David's point. When we sin, it is against God. Because he is the one that matters most. Others get hurt. But think about it this way. If I were to sin and I were to hurt my spouse, my wife, the reason that sin is against God and God alone is because God is the one that made her. Right? If, if I spent a week, a year building a sculpture, and I'm super proud of it, and you came over to my house and you just shoved it over and shattered it on the ground. Have you sinned against the statue? Or have you sinned against the one who made it? So we sin against the one who makes those that we hurt. But not only that, when you think about God, we need to remember that God is holy. He's perfect. He's never done anything to hurt you. He has never sinned against you you. And so when we sin, we are making the greatest offense to the one who's perfect. When we sin, we sin against the Lord. The trouble is, if you're anything like me, you know that you don't feel bad about sins that you only commit against the Lord. You feel bad for the sins that affect somebody else. Right? When you get caught, you feel far worse than when you do something in secret and the Lord catches you. Because he does every single time. 
The Lord knows what we're doing in secret. We don't feel bad about that. But we feel bad when we hurt a human being. This is backwards. We should care more about what we do in secret when only God sees than when the people around us know that we have been a disappointment or we have injured the people that we love. Amen? But we don't. Here's David. He thinks he's gotten away with it, and he finds out, nope. Right? All right, number three. David knows that the right judgment is a guilty verdict. Right? The right judgment for our sin is a guilty ver verdict. Look at four, verse 4, the second half of this. He says, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. What's David saying here? He's saying, God has spoken. You've declared me to be guilty. You are passing judgment on me. And guess what? You're right to do so. Because my sin is deserving of that. We deserve punishment. We deserve to be declared guilty. David is looking at it and says, look, I know it. We are guilty. And guilty people deserve to be judged and condemned, and would God not be right to do so? Think about all the great acts of judgment in the Bible. Was God wrong to do so? The flood. Was God wrong to do the flood? Was God wrong to wipe Sodom and Gomorrah off the map? Was God wrong to exile his people by the military power of Babylon and Persia? No. He was absolutely right. And his judgment was true and fine and good. David knows this. He says, your judgments are true. The fourth thing we need to know about our sin is that we are sinners at our core. Don't worry, we will get to some good news, okay? But friends, we are sinners at our core. Look at verse 5. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now let me tell you what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that his mom committed a sin by having him. Right? Having children is a blessing. It's a good thing, okay? And the way that that happens within biblical marriage is a great thing. What David is talking about is that at the his innermost being, the very core of who he is, there is sin. It's not just sinful things that we do that make us sinful. We are sinful before we sin. It is who we are from our deepest moments. Any parent knows this. Right? I didn't have to teach my one-year-old to sin, to be selfish, right? to get into things that they shouldn't get into. And as they grow up, my understanding is that it just gets worse and worse. I'm terrified, right? Here's the point. Here's the point. Because it goes so far back, because it's so ingrained in who we are, there is no easy fix. I can't just today decide to stop sinning. Wish I could. There's no easy fix. There's no rug to sweep this under because it goes all the way back to our innermost core. And pretending that it's no big deal is not going to get us anywhere. Amen? 
All right, what else do we know about our sin? This is the last one. Even when we know better, sin still drives us. Even when we know better, sin still drives us. Look at verse 6 with me. David writes this. Remember, this is the man after God's own heart. This is the guy who studied the law and scripture. He loves the Lord. He says, behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. David is literally saying that the Lord has written the law on his heart in secret. The Holy Spirit is in his life. And yet he's still looking at it going, and I still managed to mess it up. Christian, I don't know about you, but the hardest thing about me being a sinner is that even when I know what I'm supposed to do, I still don't do it. And even when I know what I'm not supposed to do, I still do it. The number one thing that I as a pastor hear from our people most commonly is I don't know why I keep sinning. I don't know how to shut this out. I don't know how to make myself stop. Just look at David. He's got his act together until that rooftop. And there he is. And there he is, right? The Apostle Paul said it best in Romans 7, verse 19, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Why is it that there are things we know to do and we don't do them? There are things we know we shouldn't and we do them anyway. Friends, what is the first step to a solution? Anybody? Admitting that there is a problem. The second step, though, I think is this, admitting how big that problem is. So we know we have a sin problem. We know it. Even if you've never admitted it out loud, you know that you have a sin problem, but you may have never admitted how big that problem is in your life. Look at King David and tell me that sin is not a big problem. The man after God's own heart becomes a murdering, lying rapist. It gives me pause, right? I'm supposed to be a man of God. Sin is a big problem. But he has a moment. He has a moment where he realizes that sin, and it does what? It changes his life moving forward. This is what we need, too. A moment. If you've ever met Chase, he's over there. You can wave. Thanks, Chase. Chase came to Jesus about two years ago, almost like this next month, right? Sweet. He was led to the Lord through a series of questions. These questions come from Ray Comfort, and they're a method of evangelizing, of sharing the gospel with people, that they might see for themselves that they are a sinner who is in need of Jesus. Here's how it works. You go to them, you say, would you consider yourself to be a good person? Almost everybody answers what? Yes. Most people in our culture admit, yes, I am a good person, usually because they are comparing themselves to their neighbor who is not. Okay? So you say to them, well, let me ask you a few questions. How many lies have you told? Countless. Thanks, Chase. What do you call someone who tells lies? A liar. 
Have you ever stolen something? What do you call someone who steals? A thief, right? Have you ever used God's name in vain? What do they call someone who uses God's name in vain? A blasphemer. And the Bible says that God will not hold him guiltless whoever takes the Lord's name in vain. Have you ever committed adultery? No. Most people say no. A lot of people would probably say yes if they weren't lying. Do <laughs> you say, well, you know what Jesus said about committing adultery? They usually will say, well, no, because they don't. You say, well, Jesus says that if you've ever looked at someone with lust in your heart, then you have. And they say, oh, have you, and have you ever done that? And yes. So what do you call someone like that? Well, you call them an adulterer. So you might say something like this. Well, Chase, I'm not judging you. But by your own admission, you have just called yourself a liar, thief, blasphemer, and an adulterer. And that's just four of the Ten Commandments. If God were to judge you based on the Ten Commandments, would you be innocent or guilty, Chase? Guilty. Anybody here innocent? Okay, just checking real quick. Had to make sure. We're all guilty. Maybe this moment right now is when you realize it. Maybe this moment right now is when you think, oh my goodness. The preacher's been right for 70 years. I've never seen it before. That would be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? Maybe this is your moment to know your sin. But here's the thing about knowing your sin. It does you no good. It does you absolutely no good without the knowledge of God. And this is where David excels. Okay, this is where David excels. And you've got to picture this. He's just done the worst things that any of us could ever imagine doing. Short of genocide, right? He's just done it all. And yet, what does he do? He goes to the Lord. There are days when I get angry at someone, and I'm like, I'm not going to the Lord on this one. Right? There are days when I'm selfish, where I think like, ah, we're going to avoid the Lord for a while. Why? How in the world is it possible that David, after doing the worst things imaginable, after having sinned against God, can come before him? Well, it's because he knows who God is. He knows who God is. Let's look at this. I told you there was good news coming, right? All right, who is God, according to David in Psalm 51? First, he is the loving and merciful God. He is the loving and merciful God. Just hear this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Right? He opens his mouth. He just looks. He sees God, and he knows God is a loving God, merciful, and it's amazing. He's appealing here for forgiveness, but he has no grounds to do so of his own will. David has done nothing to deserve forgiveness. But he looks at God and he says, God, you are a loving and merciful God. You will give me forgiveness anyway. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are, right? We just sang that. This is an amazing request. And it's based on the character of God, not on himself. 
He appeals to the Lord here and he says, blot out my transgressions. The equivalent of that is to scribble them out of or erase them out of the book. He's basically saying to God, God, forget what I've done. This is one of the most amazing things in the Bible. That the God who knows everything is capable of forgetting one thing. Your sin. Your sin. The God who knows everything is capable of erasing that. Wow. His mercy is like an ever-flowing stream. It's described as an ocean. His mercy is said to be rich and overflowing. And friends, everything in the rest of this psalm and this entire psalm is built on these two ideas, that God is love and that God is merciful. John 6, 3.16. Rick's got this one. For God so loved the world, right, that he sent his only begotten son. 1 John 4, 7 through 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God, or does not love, does not know God, because God is love. God is the perfect definition of love. He loved before we existed. The Trinity loves the Trinity, okay? This is one of those characteristics of God that is, is and always has and always will be. In him, love has its meaning. He should be our definition of love. But we live in a culture that defines him by our definition of love. And that's wrong. He is merciful and he is loving. Amen? All right, the second thing David knows about God is that he is the cleansing God. He is the cleansing God. Look at this, uh, verse 2, and then we're going to look at verse 79. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And then in verses 7 through 9, he says this, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Now here's what you need to know. If we were in Jewish times right now and we were going to gather for worship, before we came, we would have cleaned <laughs> as best we could. Most of us probably did that today anyway. Had a shower this morning, whatever else. But there's some things you just can't get clean. And so when you got to the temple initially, you would go and you would do some ritual cleaning thing that would make you spiritually clean so you could be there in the first place. See, to King David, when he starts talking about cleansing, he's talking about an everyday way of approaching the Lord. And he says, God, cleanse me. Wash me. He says, if you do so, I shall be made whiter than snow. David is looking for a cleansing that only God can bring, right? David has done all the work that he can do at this point. You can guarantee it. He's writing this prayer. He's praying this prayer in the temple. To get there, he had to get clean. But that cleanliness only went so far. See, the Lord's cleanliness goes beyond what is on the outside, and it gets into the inside. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us 
from all sin. We are clean, cleansed from the inside. Isaiah 118, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, like, like bright red, deep, deep red, they shall be as white as snow. They are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. See, God has the power to cleanse, to cleanse us. This brings us back to John 13. We were in John 13 a couple months ago, to the foot washing. Peter has a moment of only Peter can do. And he's like, no, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And he says, and you are clean, but not every one of you. He tells Peter, if you don't get washed by me, you have no share. See, our sin is so bad that there's nothing but the washing of Jesus that will fix it. Amen? All right, next up, what does David know about God? David knows that he is a creating God. Now, this is an interesting thought, right? Because God created. He made everything. But David refers to God's creation even now in Psalm 51, verse 10. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Have you ever done something so bad in your life that you just feel like your heart is black? That like when God looks at your heart, it's just this mangled thing. Most of us, at some point or another, probably have, right? And yet David looks at God and he says, God, I had your heart. And I broke it. I messed it up. I made it really ugly, really dirty. I grabbed it. I wrung it out. It's, it's, it's broken and it's dead. And he says, God created me a clean heart. See, David has this confidence in God that no matter what he does, God has the power to change his heart again. And maybe you're someone who gave your life to Jesus a long, long time ago. And since that time, it has been, your life has just been full of everything not Jesus. And you think, you know what? My heart is so black. There is no way, no way that God could ever love me again. Except that God creates by speaking. God creates at the will of his thought, right? God creates. He can create, recreate your heart, and he will do so over and over and over again, if you would but come before him. Do you really think you have the power to destroy in such a way that God can't recreate? Who do you think you are? David looks at God and says, God created me this clean heart. God is in the business of creating things. He's been doing it from the beginning. I need you to hear this. You are not who you will always be. See, we live in a world that tells you who you are, that's who you're going to be. And so because of that, you should embrace that, you should love that, and we all should too. But God looks at us all the time and says there are things that are a part of us that should not be there. The church does not talk enough about transformation. Right, you're somebody who is angry. You've always been angry. Well, guess what? 
You don't need to be angry tomorrow. You've lusted. You've always lusted. That's always been an issue. Well, guess what? God can recreate you to not in the image of his son. You have an addiction, drugs, alcohol, whatever it might be. And you say, well, this is who I've always been. It's who I'm always going to be. You really think you're more powerful than God? Transformation. We're told to come as we are. And I love this group right now because I think this is a group of people who have come as we are, right? But do not leave here the same. Do not leave here the same. God will recreate you. What else does David know about God? He knows that God is a restoring and upholding God. Verse 12. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. God is a restoring and upholding God. This is an amazing reminder to us. Right? Well, again, we've got King David, man after God's own heart. He has been everything he was supposed to be. And he's messed it up in an amazing way. And he looks at God and says, God, I used to enjoy the, the joy of your salvation. I enjoyed it. And right now I don't. And he says, restore that to me. First of all, here's something really cool to think about. It's not salvation that David is missing, is it? He does not say, God, please save me again. No. He says, restore to me the joy of something I still have. Why? Because our salvation is a gift from God. There's nothing we can do to earn it or cast it off. Right? But I tell you what, every one of us knows we can cast off the joy of that salvation plenty. And he says, Lord, restore that to me. And guys, friends, God is in the business of restoring what was lost. This is a great reminder to us. Finally, what does David know about God? And on this one, I'm just going to tell you, we've got to read through the lines a little bit here, but I hope you don't disagree with me. That God is always the same. If you do disagree with me here, that's okay, because it says in other places in Scripture. But here's my thought on this. Like I said, David has done the worst things imaginable. And yet he still finds himself coming before the Lord. Like I already said. I mean, there are things that I do that are just tiny, and I'm like, I'm going to hide that one from God. And yet David comes before God, knowing he's done the worst things possible. And what does David expect? He expects that God is going to rescue him and save him and cleanse him and forgive him and all of those good things. Why? How? It's because God doesn't change. If he did, can you imagine how terrifying it would be to come before him? I say, well, like, I came before the Lord yesterday, and I confessed this thing, and, and he said, Matt, I forgive you. Then I go there tomorrow, and he's like, eh, not feeling it. <laughs> See, David knows that God doesn't change. And so David knows that every time he comes to the Lord, bringing his sin in front of him, bearing it out, offering it up to him, he knows the rescue will come. He knows that God is who God is. 
See, we make this mistake. We somehow think that the Old Testament God is different than the New Testament God, right? That because Jesus came, God, like, started acting differently. For real? I mean, this is David in the Old Testament declaring that God is full of love and mercy, that he washes sin, right? That he cleanses us from our sin. Isn't that what Jesus does, right? We see everything that Jesus does in the New Testament, walking on this earth. We see God doing all throughout because God doesn't change. And because of that, David could go before him thousands of years ago, bearing all of this awful sin before him, and know that because he did so, the Lord will forgive him. And he can know, and we can know, that when we do that today, guess what? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God will. God will hear us. He will receive us. He is merciful. He is making clean. He is creating a new heart in us. He is restoring because he is the same. Do you see why it's so important to know who God is? See, it's not enough to know that you're a sinner. And I know you know you're a sinner. We all do. But it is not enough to know that you are a sinner. You also have to know God. And if you know God, there's only one choice in those moments when we suddenly realize our sin. There's only one choice. And that in that moment, you would come before him. You would bow down before him. You say, Lord, I know you are loving and I know you are merciful. And I know that you can forgive my sin and that you will wash me clean. Right? There's only one choice. If you recognize your sin, you recognize how awesome God is. Amen? If you have never given your life to Jesus, if you have had that moment where you've seen your sin, you thought, you know what, I got this, I can take care of this, and you've never given your life, then today is the day. You came as you are, but leave changed, transformed by Jesus. Amen? Come find me, or Scott, somebody else here that you know loves Jesus, and we want to tell you about Jesus and what he can do to rescue us, because that is who he is. Friends, the last charge that I wanna wanna give to us, because I know I'm I'm at least I hope I'm I'm preaching to the choir right now. I hope. Okay. Hear what David says at the end here. This is just the final. I don't want to leave part of scripture out. He says this in verse uh, Oh man, I lost my place. <laughs> um in verse 13 and 14. He says then, right, this is his response to what he knows God is going to do. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. He says, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. What's he saying here? He's saying, look, God, I know that you're going to rescue me. I know that you're going to forgive me. I know all of this. And when you do, guess what? I am going to go tell everybody about it. I am going to sing praises. And he's not making a bargain here. Don't, don't read it that way, right? It's not the Lord, if you would rescue me, I will serve you. Right? He knows what God is going to do. There's no if. He also knows what he's going to do in response. And that's what we are to do as well. And that is to tell this world the good news of Jesus Christ. To tell this world what happens when they realize that they're a sinner. Right? 
when you know it, to tell them who God is so that they might be saved too. And I pray that we would be the people that do that in Lahana, in the valley, and to the ends of the earth. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the wisdom of your word. We thank you so much for the, the testament that you've given us in, in David, Lord, the confidence that we too can come before you and find forgiveness no matter what we've done. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here today, right now, that your spirit would just reach into their heart, point it out, show them the sin in their life, and tell them who you are. God, that they would be saved. I pray, Lord, that we would be a people that would respond to that salvation and go out declaring your, your praise and singing of your glory that everybody might hear and know. God, we come before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for David, who messed up who sinned and you saved him. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We come now to the time of communion, to the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is a reminder that we don't do anything. <laughs> we don't. But he has done it all. And so we come before the Lord and we receive the broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we receive the spilled blood, knowing that it is the body and it is the blood that, that forgives and cleanses us. And it's a reminder for us every week of how much we need Jesus and how much we don't bring anything to this table. Church, we do invite you to give today as well. The Lord has given us so many blessings. The blue bucket's up here for that, if that's how you want to choose to worship today. We invite you to come to this table if you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. If you don't yet, then please wait. Come talk to me. Ask questions. Search what you need to search. Do not wait. When you're ready, you can come forward. The communion cups um, are double stacked. The top is juice. The bottom is bread. Take both. Eat them. Uh, drink and eat them. You can do that here or bring them back to your seats. We invite you to come and to remember to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ as you do so. Come when you're ready.